Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can build your dream business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Hello and welcome to My Business Playbook. It is so good to be with you today. If we haven't met before, my name is Laura. I run a business called Lala Social Club and I'm here to help you skyrocket your creative business. Now, before we dive in to today's episode and before I introduce you to our wonderful guest, I wanted to ask a quick favor. If you are a loyal listener of My Business Playbook and if you love the episodes that we put out, I would love it and it would mean the world to me if you could jump onto Apple and leave us a five-star review. This is just so that more people can actually access the podcast and hear about the podcast because we don't want to be the best kept secret on the internet. So if you could do that, it'll take you 20 seconds. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so, so much. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest today. We are joined by Renee Warren. Renee is an award-winning entrepreneur, inspirational speaker, author, founder of We Wild Women, and the host of the celebrated podcast, Into the Wild, a show that features interviews with female entrepreneurs, a lot like our show, really. Now, what she has done is she's built and scaled a seven-figure PR business and is the go-to for all things PR and business growth. Some would call her a PR expert. That's what I would call her. And so today I wanted her to join us to talk all things PR strategy. In this episode, you're going to learn why PR is a powerful strategy for your small business and one that you should not put on the back burner. You're also going to learn Renee's PR success engine and the simple steps to start today and how to create newsworthy stories for your business and a whole bunch more. You're going to love this conversation that I have with Renee. So let's dive in. I am so excited to have you here. Uh, We were laughing before the show because a couple of weeks back, we had your husband on the show. And then we realized, what the heck are we doing? Why haven't we had Renee on the show yet? So here you are. And I'm so excited to be chatting with you. How the heck are you today? Thanks, Laura, for having me. There's a joke because I didn't change my last name when we got married. And so I've always and will always be a Warren and he's a Martell. And yeah. we jokingly, well, I love it when we go to like check into hotels and they call him Mr. Warren. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but yes. our, our running joke with our friends is we're called the Wartels. The Wartels. <laughs> so it's half Warren, half Martell. Yeah, that's what we are, the Wartels. Yeah, no, thank you so much for joining me. I think it's awesome that he was already a guest on your show. And I hope that I'm the cherry on the top. Oh my gosh. No, I, I'm I'm really excited about this conversation and I'm really, you know, I know that there are like a million different things that we could talk about and you've got this breadth of experience in business and I know that you help similarly to what we do, you help people to launch and grow their businesses. But today I really wanted to zero in on PR because that is like, I feel like that's just your sweet spot and it's your zone. So Tell us about your story. How did you how did you start and how did you kind of get to where you are today? Oh geez. Um <laughs> that was really Canadian <laughs> of me. Oh geez. Well, I was I've been an entrepreneur since I was 17. 
And I started a restaurant with my sister. And so we did this seasonally for four years and paid ourselves well. We were literally hiding like $15,000 of cash underneath our bed in a till because <laughs> we didn't know where else to put it. We thought this was normal. And eventually it was like, okay, this isn't normal, but we both had, my sister and I both had an entrepreneurial bone. She now is a pediatric physiotherapist running her own clinic. So I was like, oh, entrepreneurship's cool because to me, you know, when you're 17 years old, it's my perception was you don't work a lot, but you make a lot of money. So why wouldn't I do that? Yes. <laughs> and maybe there's a point where you do get there, but when you're 17 and you're just beginning, no. So, you know, I went to undergrad business school. I traveled to Australia uh, for yeah. a year and then I came back and did postgrad. But I was always leaning towards running an agency. When I was 18 years old, I had this dream that I was going to run a top advertising AG agency in Manhattan because I had this dream of living in New York City. Yeah. And I'm glad I didn't do that because I'm a small town girl. I yeah. can't handle the lights, <laughs> the sounds, the smells of a big city. And so to put me there for a weekend, sure, before a lifetime, no. So long story short, I met Dan and I was doing like PR content, social stuff for some companies. And I ended up moving to San Francisco to be with him when he was building his startups out there. And this was when content marketing, so like inbound marketing started to be a thing where like the coolest companies had the most beautiful infographics. And that was like what everybody wanted. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try this and worked with some companies to create these beautiful, like this beautiful imagery. And then I started doing social media for companies. And then I started to figure out like Google ads and Facebook advertising. How does this all work? And so I was working with startups to understand that space. And it was really cool. And then I met this woman named Heather, who eventually became my business partner. And she was doing solely traditional PR. We did some projects together and we eventually launched an agency called Onboardly. And we had worked with clients from all over the world, from South Africa to San Diego. And we did well. We won awards. We got all of our clients featured in top publications. But I started that business when I was eight months pregnant with my first son. And in the same year of launching that business and having my first baby, we welcomed our second son, Noah. So wow. my boys are 11 months apart. Oh my god. So gosh. it was a big year. <laughs> and it was also the same year my husband Dan was raising money for his new startup Clarity. So he was always traveling. Anyway, that being said, great support team, grew this agency, loved the work, absolutely loved the work. But over time, I just burnt out. It's the thing about yeah. PR is you're always on, mm. right? It's 24 seven opportunities. You're always scanning, you're always looking, you're just pervy to what opportunities are coming across your desk. And I noticed myself missing key milestones with my boys because there was yeah. a night nanny or after school care or somebody was watching them. And I was like, I don't like this. I want to be there for them. So I decided to step away from the agency and I did business coaching for the last, gosh, three-ish plus years. Yeah. And then after a date with Destiny, Tony Robbins event in Florida, not that long ago, Alongside three years of incredible personal development, I realized that I am still through and through a marketer. I love creating, yeah. I'm an artist. And so I'm back in the hot seat of doing PR for incredible female founded businesses and helping them get not only media attention, but an understanding the new way of doing PR. Yeah. And that's my story. <laughs> that's amazing. And I feel like you've also left out some like key things in that you built Onboardly to be like 
a seven-figure business. You wrote a book in the middle of all of that as well, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I wrote a book it's called Get Covered, How to Craft, Pitch, and Tell Your Startup Story to Get More Customers. Um, I launched a planner last year. Yeah. I mean, I feel like your journey, it, it really relates to me in that it wasn't like, I'm going to go get a degree and then just like, that's my craft and I will, you know, climb the ladder in this little pocket. It's like been a bit of, I'm going to f- test this and figure this out and, and like experiment with ads over here and, and different types of businesses. And then it's kind of come to this moment where you've actually realized, well, this is what I love. This is what lights me up. This is what I'm good at. And I feel like for a lot of people listening, there is this push towards launching a course, teaching other people your skills and coaching others. What would you say to someone who feels the pressure to kind of go into more of a consulting or coaching role if they really feel like they want to stay on the tools? Yeah, I say follow your heart. So it's easier said than done. But as we grow, I'm hoping that your listeners are also part of the personal development journey because it's not a it's not a weekend course it's a lifelong journey and because as you grow you experience new things you become more mature you understand the world around you and in that you should be understanding more of who you are but who you are five years ago ten years ago is not the same person you are today you can still have those same interests but doesn't mean you will also on that note you could be hearing it whispers or people could be telling you over and over again, hey, you know, courses are lucrative or you should go into coaching. If it doesn't feel good, like it actually makes your body ache, you got to kind of push on that. What mm-hmm. is that? Like, why, mm-hmm. why isn't it something that you want to do? For me, the coaching thing, I felt like I was thrown into it. Great opportunity. I did okay. But because I knew it wasn't something that I was really wanting to do, I, it's like, as my husband calls it, I threw grenades into my business. Yeah. The moment it's like it started to take off and there was an opportunity for me to grow, the business to grow, for me to coach incredible women, I would do something to stop that growth. Right. And not, I'm not like that anymore. But mm. in understanding, I'm living my life. I'm doing what I want to do because it's what I want to do. I don't care what people think about my industry because like talk to a journalist and they don't like publicists. <laughs> <laughs> right. And even even in the tech startup space, when I was living in San Francisco, even Dan sat me down and said, you can't tell people you're in communications or PR because they won't like you. I'm like, that's absurd. They're not going to like me because of what I do. But that story, amongst others, just sat on me for so long. I was like, I can't be proud of something that I love doing. Why is that? Yeah. And for me now, especially, I'm like, I love doing PR. And you can hire me if you want. If you don't like me or you don't like the industry, then don't work with me. Yeah. The reality is, is there's like, what, 8 billion people that live on this planet. And if you got like 0.0000008% of that as a client, you'd crush it. (laughs) Completely. For me, it's like when you feel pressured to do something to, you know, follow a career or to start doing some new marketing initiative for your business, whatever it is, and it doesn't feel right, there's a reason for that. Mm. Check yourself first, because if it's you just throwing grenades into your business, like in Dan's book, he talks about the staller. That was me. It's like you get asked to be speaking on stage or to co-produce a webinar and you just say no, or you don't even respond to it because you're stalling, (laughs) even though it could be the most 
adventurous business growing opportunity of your life. Yeah. Right. So check yourself in these opportunities. Is this a common pattern that you're always doing? Then you got to work on that. <laughs> mm. And it's it's really difficult to identify if it's a am I just sabotaging myself because I feel imposter syndrome or I feel insecure or it's a new level and I'm I'm scared or is it that something in me just goes I don't want to do that. And and so I I'm just going to rather than address it and say, I don't want to do that. So it's a no, we leave it open-ended and avoid it. It's, it's really difficult to identify which is which. How did you kind of come to this point where you thought, all right, this particular business model doesn't work for me. How did you come to that realization in yourself? Because I knew I had it in me to be able to create processes and programs to be able to coach women. I on, actually where it really hit home was when I was doing the exercises and to get like super, super niche with the type of women that I wanted to coach. Yeah. And it would have made so much sense for me to be a coach for service-based businesses, particularly people that want to start or grow their agency, right? Very specific because I know that space, but I didn't. I didn't go niche because I knew being niche meant that I'll probably grow. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want to grow. And I knew that I could put all these things together and I can create these courses. And I did. I created courses and I created memberships and I created masterminds and I had women come through it. And even when it was full, I was like, I I'm, I'm reaching my goals, but I'm still like, no. Mm. And I don't think there's any shame in going through that process at all. In fact, it was it was needed. Yeah. Right. Kind of like you trying to find a workout routine that you like so you can stay healthy and happy. For me, it's CrossFit. You might be someone who does yoga and running and think, you're crazy. If I ever stepped into a CrossFit gym, I would lose my mind. Yeah. But that's what yeah. I like. But I didn't know this. And I did yoga for years. And I'm like, oh, this is so boring. Where's the music? I want to get super sweaty. I want to pump these muscles. <laughs> and so... Yeah. If you're going through these these seasons of like ruts in your business or life, I always say, you know, pick up drumsticks, bang on a drum, go pick up a guitar, go mm. skating, try all these different things because it definitely teaches you something, but it opens up this creative path. You're like, allows you to meditate in a way. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I take drum lessons because that was part of the journey. And yeah. I started maybe four years ago with no goal, just I wanted to learn to play drums. But when I'm learning how to play drums, it's the only thing I'm thinking about. And it's so meditative for me. So yeah, it's just like that. your gut. I actually teach this in my planner. It's called the head, heart and gut approach to decision making. It's the head's the logical place, right? The gut's kind of like the feeling place. The heart, the heart is like the emotional place. Yes. And women tend to lead from the heart which is fine. Like as a mother, it's great because it's allowed for the survival of our species. But at the same time, if you're always leading from your heart, making business decisions, the emotions get in the way, right? Yes. And then the head is like the logic, like, oh, that percentage doesn't work. Or, you know, maybe the ROI on that isn't big enough, or this person doesn't have this experience to hire them. If we're thinking too logically all the time, we're going to miss out on great opportunities. We won't take chances. Yeah. The gut allows us to connect it all. So when you, you know, when that creepy person walks in the room, you don't know who they are. You just get this weird feeling in your stomach. It's, yeah. it's real. It's real. So like 
the head, heart, and gut approach is like, if you have to make a decision, for instance, where you want to send your kids to school, if you have the opportunity to send them to private school or public school, and there's all these options, you're like, okay, what's the head approach? Well, this head approach is, it's going to cost this much money. These are all the activities, the logistics, blah, blah, blah. The hard approach is like, oh, what does their curriculum look like? Um, is there like after school studies? Are my kids going to be safe? Are they going to be nurtured? And the gut approach is like, okay, let's tie this all together. What's the bigger picture in these opportunities from the private versus the public school? So if you give yourself the space to create these decisions based on your head, heart, and gut, it opens up so many possibilities because it allows you to just question the logic, question the emotion, and really make sound decisions that you can be proud of. Yes. Oh, I think that's so valuable. And for anyone listening who is in that position where it's a new year and you're thinking about all these new initiatives you want to do, I think that framework of the head, heart and gut is such a good thing to do. And 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 we've been talking like in our business about, well, what are we going to say no to? And I think equally, we need to think about the opportunities and the things we're going to say yes to. But it's also thinking, what are we going to say no to? And I, I really love that, that framework of how you process decisions. Yes. Oh my gosh, what you say no to. I used to say, and that's the other thing too, in those, in those moments of lack of clarity is say yes to a lot of stuff. Mm. If you have the time and capacity, say yes to testing things out. But once you start to figure it out, that's when you start really saying no to most things. Like even yeah. now, even though my planners launch and I've been selling them, in hindsight, I'm like, that's that was a busy task. <laughs> that wasn't an ROI task. That was yeah. like a passion project that I wanted to do, get out in the world that I started way too long ago. Yeah. But now I'm like, what are the things that I can say no to? And mm. I think it's Steve Jobs that says that he's just as proud of the things that his company said no to as to the things that they said yes to. Yeah, that uh, I think it's a game changer and it just actually gives you the freedom to say no too. So it's like, I think, yeah, I feel like it's such a good place to come from of, is this a yes for me? Is my whole self going, heck yes, I'm in, or is one foot in, one foot out? And if so, why? And I feel like that's such a cool way to think about it. Yeah. You can't be half pregnant, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to make the that's decision. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so true. Now I want to get like really practical here. So you're a PR wizard. Um, and as I say PR, <laughs> I realize I sound so Australian. Um, PR. <laughs> I, I feel like I sound very PR. Australian. Yeah. You're a PR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I can oh, hear man, it took me so many it. years to learn how to say no as an Aussie. Like, how do you say no? Like, nay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> oh, it's, I, I don't know how anyone f figures this out. It's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to say publicity seems like, um, or working, working with a publicist seems like a nice to have. And it kind of seems like, oh, like that'd be nice. Not necessarily, oh, I need this in order to build my business. What do you think about this? And how do you think PR fits into a small business growth strategy? See, I don't think PR fits into anything. I think everything fits into PR. Because the reality is, is PR is about building relationships. It's part of the word, public relations. 
And if you look at marketing, like sales, advertising, anything is about developing those relationships because people only buy from those they know, like, and trust. And so to say that PR is a part of marketing, no, it is marketing. It's about relationship building. Yes, there's like the traditional write the press release, pitch the media, put it out in the wire. That stuff still exists and it still works. But really, PR has evolved so much now that it has to become something that you do daily in your business. So what I mean by that is if you don't have a publicist, although you should hire one, if you do have the resources to do so, because they can see opportunities before you can. And not only that, they have the capacity and the tools to be able to do that. But yeah. PR is essentially, so I, I do this PR engine. So it's called, I call it the PR engine. So it's traditional PR, content marketing, and social media and how they play together. Because really, it's almost all the same thing. Mm. One can't really work without the other. PR allows you, like in the traditional sense, to amplify everything that you're doing. It allows you to like have an SEO play to grow your presence on social, to grow your credibility and authority. Regardless of your, your time or resource budgets, everybody has the ability to do their own PR or to work with somebody that can do it for them. And so I say from any stage in your business, if you're thinking of, of an idea or you're one year into it or you're two years into it, you can still do PR for your business. And so what would that look like for someone who is kind of like, okay, cool, I'm starting from zero. I, I have an Instagram presence. I have, I have a bit of a marketing presence, but now I want to, as you say, amplify through PR. What is like mm -hmm. step one? What is the foundational thing we need to get right before we start? So step one is really understanding your ideal customer. I know this sounds so cliched, like, yes, Renee, everyone does this 18 times a year. But what I mean by that is where do they hang out online? What podcasts are they listening to? What blogs are they reading? What publications are they subscribed to? Because those are the ones that you want to get on. So yeah. for instance, like my clients are on podcast tours because it only makes sense if they're I have a health coach, right? She's considered Canada's play expert. And so she teaches women and men that are in midlife how to incorporate play as a form of exercise. And she has this whole method and it's beautiful. And so it doesn't make sense for her to go on like the sell or die sales podcast. Maybe it does, but that's not where her clients are. Like they're in their moment of need and pain. They're listening to the health and fitness podcast because they're trying to lose weight or gain more energy or whatever it is. And so to understand where your customers are online is the first step. And believe me, that might be the only step you need to do with that. Because there are so many resources and publications in each, yeah. in each industry. The second thing is really understanding what it means to pitch. And there are so many nuances to this. Like, don't pitch before noon on a Monday. Don't pitch on Fridays. Um, you know, don't pitch during the, the, the dark days. So, like, the blackout days are, like, pretty much all of December and mid-July to late August. So there's, like, all these rules around when you should and shouldn't pitch. That aside... People still pitch and it still gets picked up in that time. But you want to create a really stellar email pitch. Like that's pretty much how people pitch this, these days. The press release is dying, but in an email pitch, and I actually have a free resource on my website that gives you example template pitches that were proven to get people in top media. I will say this. There are many moments where it doesn't matter how creative your angle is. There is something to do with luck and timing. Yeah. And I'll tell you the story. 
We once worked with one of uh, America's top property management companies, kind of in a boring industry. <laughs> we worked <laughs> with them for a very long time and we managed their social strategy and managed their engagement. We created their entire mar or content marketing strategy from hosting content on their blog, LinkedIn accounts, contributing content on Entrepreneur, Forbes, you name it. You're just pumping out really great content. But that helped build up the authority of the company's website as well as the founder. So we used that as kind of the fodder we needed when we actually started pitching the media. And just by luck and timing, Yahoo Finance picked up one of the blog posts that got syndicated to like Fox News that eventually ended up being what we needed to pitch to the Steve Harvey show. So it's a big like daytime show in the United States. And he had a whole episode on the wow. Steve Harvey show because of those things that we did. So I can't say that it's, it's not hard. The, the trick is the consistency. And I would say, give yourself a 90 day bet. That's it. For 90 days, do everything I say. <laughs> and I promise you, you'll get some response. And there's going to be a lot of no's, but where people miss the mark is in the follow-up, yeah. right? You pitch and you follow up. I pitched a client on the Seller Die podcast. This is top of mind right now because it just happened today on October 24th. So, you know, at the time of the recording, that was like three, three months ago, November, yeah. December. Yeah, like three months ago. And they got back to me six days ago. And I'd follow it up in that time too. And so... The rules generally is don't follow up more than once or twice. And I was like, you know what? I'll leave, I'll leave that one for now. Maybe I'll come back to it in a couple months. And they followed up. That's <laughs> like, wow. you never know. But if you weren't doing the follow-up, if, you if you're not clearly organized about where your clients hang out online, who are the people that are writing for these publications? Who are the hosts? Um, the creative pitch, then you'll fail. You'll fail. Mm. But it doesn't take much. It's just... A really good publicist will keep their ears to the ground for the opportunities and will be actively pitching. Yeah. And, and so are you finding now in the industry, because like you say, it's changed so much with social media and then, you know, even the fact that publications, they need so much more content, it seems like, because everything's online. Is the approach now different like is it a volume game or is it still like no 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 keep this small number of like podcasts you want to pitch to or publications or keep that little pool and just become known to those few select people what do you think I guess it depends on on what you're doing in the industry I will say it is a volume game so mm. over the years I've I call it my win rate so win rate is when I pitch and I get a yes and so my win rate today is 18%. So 18% yeah. of my pitches will be a confirmed something. So if that means if you want to get on 50 podcasts, <laughs> so in order for me, I don't even know what the math is, but you know, you got to be pitching hundreds in order for that to happen. Yeah. And so when I talk with my clients, I'm like, hey, it's like, what, what does a 10 out of 10 look like to you? They're like, oh, like some of them are realistic, but others are like, well, I want forms of business insider and blah, 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 blah. Like, well, I got to walk them back a bit. Because it is, it is a timing, it's a consistency game. But let me tell you this, the rules of PR have changed because online advertising isn't what it used to be. And a lot of these publications online, their primary revenue was from online advertising, right? And mm -hmm. they don't have that revenue as much anymore. They're not getting the impressions, it's changing space. So they're turning to a lot more pay-to-play models. 
And what I mean by that is like pay to play is if they accept your pitch, they might, if you're, unless you're somebody like super famous, like Gary Vaynerchuk or Michelle Obama, they won't cover the story unless they think there's like merit in there, but they might charge you for it. So I see this a lot. Say, hey, yes, Renee, we'd love to feature your client, blah, blah, blah. Um, there is a fee of $1,000 and this article will show up as a sponsored post. Do you want to take advantage of that? Well, the people that don't really like understand, like there could be a good opportunity, but go to any website now, like Forbes, Entrepreneur, and you'll see sponsored posts. And here's the inside scoop I got not that long ago too. On top of that, <laughs> take notes, listeners. If you are a product-based business and you do not have an affiliate program set up from like Skim Links or what's another one that I heard of today, Refersion, if you don't have affiliate set up, you will probably not be mentioned or featured in some of the top publications because that's how they make their money. Right. So if you go to the list, the top 10 skin creams for women over 50, right? On like whatever publication that you love reading, those are affiliates because they link to an Amazon account or they link to something in which yes. that publication is going to make money. And like, I don't want to say this is brilliant for the publications, but they need to make money too. Yeah. So <sighs> pay to play models coming in strong and the back end of how you're selling, especially products has got to change if you don't have affiliates that, and like, honestly, to have like an affiliate program is not that expensive. No. And it's kind of needed. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, with the, because I get people mess, DMing me, emailing me all the time with like, hey, we can feature you here, here, and here. What are the like red flags of, because I always, when people say it'll cost you $1,000, I'm always a bit like, well, this feels like, I feel like I'm getting scammed a little bit. And are there any like red flags we need to look for when, dealing with either if we're pitching to a publication and they say, hey, cool, it's $1,000, or if someone pitches to us, are there any red flags that you think of? Well, the people pitching you, those are the salespeople. They're doing their job. Yeah. Right. And depending on the publication, it's like, take a chance. I say, do it once with a reputable source and see what happens. Like if, if you paying $1,000 to have a full feature on a reputable publication, I say, try it out once. Test it, mm. see what happens. It could be it could be a hit or not. And like prediction of like Google, I don't know. There's so much going on now with like chat, GB, GBT, um, yeah. like AI content producing companies like Jasper, where they can essentially just write this content for you. And it's just like littered with SEO, which is great. But what does that mean for content marketing companies? What does that mean for the Google algorithm? Well, things are going to get changed and people like, they need to be smart about how they're approaching this. Yeah. It used to be like, so, you know, quick SEO rundown is like anytime a really high ranking website links to your website and it's a not no follow link, that's like Google juice, baby. You want mm. that. But all that stuff's going to start changing. And especially the, the posts and the content, they're just so SEO, like overloaded with keywords and stuff that doesn't even read well. So that's going to change. But then like, so in understanding this, the match between PR and content marketing, you can see it. So I'll pitch some podcasts. They're like, hey, you know, our content calendar is full for the next six months, but why don't you contribute an article? So that's smart. So then now all of a sudden it's like, we're writing a really good piece for somebody else's publication. They link back to us. 
So that's yeah. why PR isn't just about pitching. It's about creating great content. It's about understanding the affiliate side of things, the pay to play, how social media plays into it. So how does social media play into it? Well, we're going to use Instagram as an example because it's a pretty hot social media platform. If you're using that as a destination for people like extending your pitches to saying, hey, no, come check me out on Instagram if you want to see what I'm talking about, you better have really good content. <laughs> yes. And not only that is oftentimes I find myself in Instagram specifically or Twitter to understand where people are at. Like I'll pitch before I pitch anybody. I look at their most active social account to see if they're on vacation. They posted there at Disney four hours ago. Well, chances are they're probably not checking email for the next week. So I'm not going to pitch them today. Mm -hmm. And I also use it as a way to connect with people. So if there's like some, you know, other writers or people that I want to hire, or if there's a publicist that I want to pitch, I engage with them on social media well before I reach out to them for the ask. So understanding that PR is this engine, it's not just press releases. It's like every touch point of you and your brand online. Yeah. And that is such, I haven't heard someone else like position it in that way where it's kind of the, all the things orbit around it in that it's your online presence and the way you relate to people. Totally. It's the stories you share. Yeah. And so, okay. With the AI side of things, do you think like, and, and we've been kind of like experimenting. I've loved using Jasper. Jasper, if for anyone listening, it's like an AI copywriter thing. It's really, really incredible. We just started playing around with chat GPT, which is like next level. Um, we're still figuring out how to the heck to even use that. Yeah. But do you think that with all this automation, how do you think the personal element of your story like, does it mean that your story becomes more important now more than ever? What do you think? <laughs> the first thought that comes, and actually something I've thought about too, is you can't use that content cut and paste. Mm. Like, don't be stupid, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you take that, like whatever content gets pumped out, ChatGPT, Jasper, use that as the foundation. As yeah. in, okay, this is a good like template of the content but you have to still go in and do the work to tweak yeah. it, to update it, to link to the right sources, to add your story, your personality to the content. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think AI can do that unless they know you, unless they know you really well. So, I mean, that's where we're at now. And also my prediction is that because not everybody's on it now, the people that have early access has like, they have one step through the door before everyone else. Um, I mean, I even hopped on to chat GBT today and it's like over capacity. You can't access it because everyone's on it right now. <laughs> it's like, okay. Wow. So yeah, it was like 5am like, mm, where is what? Everyone's on it right now. But oh I think it's just being mindful. It's like, don't get lazy. Use this as an opportunity to upgrade your content, but don't use it as the be all end all. Mm, now, yeah. as for my prediction in terms of like, writers and content agencies, well, I don't know. It's scary time for that because if you can just hire a, you know, mid-level or even like entry-level marketer to come in and pump out content for you because you have AI, you've just abolished so many companies and jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting to watch this play out and how it kind of 
weaves into so many elements of, of what we do as business owners and particularly in the marketing and PR space. I think it's a game changer. So you mentioned like, first off, you need to really know who your audience is. You need to know where they hang out. If once you have those kind of bases covered, you kind of know, okay, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. This is who I'm saying it to. This is how I'm going to pitch. Is there a right time and a wrong time to start? Is there a point where you feel like, oh no, you're not ready for that yet? So the actual pitching, 100%. Uh, the way that I see it is if no new, uh, to, in order to get news, you have to create news. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is in order to get news coverage, you have to be newsworthy. So do you have an announcement coming out, a new product? Were you voted number one in XYZ? Were you a top 10, whatever? I mean, there's so many ways to position it, but there has to be something that's worthwhile. Um, Did you win an Allure Best in Beauty Award? Did you um, hire a new CEO? There's got to be something as the kind of the initial thing. And if not, then you have to be super creative about it. And hey, you can pitch the same angle to like, a thousand different contacts. (laughs) And you can also follow up with those people that didn't respond to you with something new in a couple months. Just because they don't respond doesn't mean that they're not interested. For instance, I have a client who is a pretty, um, I don't wanna say famous, famous is not the word, but she's a very recognized journalist, which is awesome getting this advice from. And we did a one and a half hour coaching call today because I'm helping her with her company. And she's like, she was telling me that in the hour and a half that we were talking, she received 137 pitches. She doesn't even work for any sort of publication. She contributes to a lot of the top publications. Wow. She's like, I get pitched for stuff that I stopped writing on eight years ago. So all this says to me is that people are lazy and they're not doing their homework. They get an email address, they find a contact and they just pitch. They're like, spray and pray. Hopefully this is something that she wants to write about. So that's why for me, it's like, I can take upwards to two hours to pitch one person because I wanna know, are they the right contact? Is this how you spell their name? Is this the right angle? What do they write about? Is this their beat in journalism? The beat mm. is the, the type of content that journalists write about. Are they on vacation? Like, how can I make this more inspiring? How can I make this more catchy? I go through different like pitch subject lines. I use different platforms and I'll try a variation of like 10 to 12 different subject lines for one pitch to see what comes out with the highest ranking score. (laughs) Wow, yeah. So it's even, it's thinking about the positioning of the story and making sure you have something newsworthy to share. And I think that's a really, really good angle. What about if you wanna contribute like you said, like maybe it's that you, you don't necessarily have something newsworthy, but is there a way to pitch for you to contribute a blog post or a video or a content? Oh yeah, hundred percent. There's always that opportunity. But I, I do wanna say this, there's always a way of coming up with an angle. And this is where a good publicist is separated from the rest. They'll figure it out. If not, they'll tell you to create news. Yes. <laughs> they'll say, we got nothing to talk about. So you, you got to go and do this thing so that people can talk about it. So you see right. like PR, like some top PR agencies will, like I remember one client, she used to work for a really big, big advertising company in Chicago. And I guess McDonald's was a client or there was some sort of like burger company that was a client and they created a gigantic neon fry 
or fries that they put in some <laughs> random location that was like, so now they're creating news. So now they're getting news coverage. So yeah. think about what is the thing you can do to be different, unique, to, to stop people in their tracks? Because, you know, just otherwise you're in a hamster wheel. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's probably, I know for a lot of people listening, doing something newsworthy feels like, oh my gosh, I've actually got to do that. And just like really quickly, what are some examples of something that, you know, you mentioned some products if they've won awards, what are some things that service providers could be doing to, you know, get something newsworthy? Like I know that awards is a big one. What, what else, what are some other things you could be doing? So I think one of the predictions I read somewhere for 2023 in PR is the social responsibility. So yeah. how many companies have that threaded into their existence of which everyone is capable, right? Everyone's, even if you have only made like $5,000 in your entire year, there's still like the time dedication you can create. And quite frankly, I think it's all of our responsibility to have that. Mm. So I mentor women in business for free. They have to be the right person. They have to have the right pain point for me to help them solve and it has to be the right time. But like throughout the entire year, there's always at least one or two women that I'm mentoring for free. Normally they're paying like my thousands of dollars of coaching fees. And so there is not only, I think, a profound responsibility for us to be doing that. And yes, it looks good on you, but that is also something we can create. So there's yeah. another lady who's probably one of my competitors and she has a, um, like a bursary. So it's really cool because they create these like little social media campaigns and these PR campaigns about getting people to apply women in business to apply. And then they go through her program for free. So essentially they get to win like these business coaching and PR services for free. Yeah. Like that that's newsworthy. Mm-hmm. So though there's like the women in business, there's like this publicist, but they also have this, the social good part. So it's just really, it's really aligning your values with the opportunity to create that impact. And that's what people want to talk about. Cause like yep. people want to talk to good people, <laughs> unless yeah. you're Elon, then it's like, he's just an alien trying to get home. So we got to respect that too, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's so much opportunity. <laughs> I think that's a really, really easy place. And And for a lot of businesses, they probably are doing something in that social responsibility space, but they're not talking about it. So I feel like that's such a good encouragement to actually talk about it. It doesn't make you like a jerk. And and here's the thing is there, there's so much shame wrapped up in that. Like why, why can't we say that we donated $50,000 to a program? Mm -hmm. Like I remember a few years ago, the start of COVID. Dan and I wrote a big check to three separate charities locally. We found out that because of the lockdown, because of the pandemic, there were kids that weren't eating for days because they relied on the meal programs at school. And like, these are things that are overlooked. And we found out. So we're like, what can we do? We wrote a check and I go, hey, Dan, why don't we get some publicity around this? Not to make us look good, but to inspire and encourage other people too. And we, I think we ended up, so we called this thing the giving crew and we pinged all of our you know, successful entrepreneur friends to do something similar in their community. Last time I checked, we raised like half a million dollars. Wow. As in like we inspired other people to do the same thing in their community. So that being said is we did get some local media coverage and 
while most people were like, that's amazing. Thank you because of you. I donated $200 to this organization or I donated 20 bucks, whatever they could afford. But the shame came in and like, I felt so nervous about this was some of the comments that people said like, oh, that's all you donated. Oh. And like, that's what stops people from doing these things. Like if you're giving back in the community, why not shout it from the rooftops? Because yeah. you're going to inspire other people to do the same thing. And there's yeah. no shame in that. And if anything, that's the one thing we should be talking about the most. Oh, that's so, that frustrates me so much because I, I feel like, yeah, there's, there have been instances where people have been like, well, you know, why aren't you donating to this cause? Or why aren't you donating to this cause? And for me, I'm like, I really am a big believer in just be generous. And my whole thing has been be generous in private. Don't shout it from the rooftops. But that's probably more been a thing of, I don't want to cop someone kind of with a weird entitled view saying something. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what you do. You do it or you don't do it. People are still saying it. I know, totally. But I think that's such a good way to think about it, to make it about other people. And actually, it's not about me looking good. There's people with way more money than me who could donate way more than I could, but it's the thing of, are we contributing at all? Yeah, and I think I think it's all of our responsibility. I yeah. mean, and contribution doesn't have to be money. Contribution can be time, mm. right? Contribution can be like, you see a mom struggling at school pickup because her work shift starts at 2 a.m. and she's so exhausted. Contribution can be, well, how about on Wednesdays, I take her son home every day and she can just go home and nap. So we have to yeah. also reposition what contribution means. And even if you're just helping one person, that has a very long lasting effect on so many people in her family and her community too. But yeah, so I mean, like the financial thing for business, I think, like I said, doesn't have to be money. It could be time. Yeah. And that's time is money. <laughs> yeah, totally. But that That is huge. So that can help you create the story. It can help you get some buzz. Even yeah. if you're like, be super creative about it. Right? Like maybe you're going to start some sort of foundation and you're pulling in a bunch of people in your industry. And now all of a yeah. sudden you're expanding your network and your community by way of creating these foundations. So there's lots you can do. It's just you really have to, quote, think outside the box. <laughs> yeah, completely. And I think the idea of if you think about your marketing, if you think about your PR strategy or your marketing strategy, or if the one if they're the same thing, it's all about storytelling. And so if you can master the art of telling good stories and creating stories that are worth sharing, your content is going to resonate more. Your pitches are going to resonate more. You're going to be able to get people in and connect with them more. So I feel like the underpinning of the whole thing is if you can be creative and if you can tell good stories, you're off to a really great start. 100%. That's totally it. Before we finish up, I do want to know where people can connect with you more because I know you have a program called Sidelines to Headlines, which is a great name, by the way. I love that name. Where can people connect with you? Where could people learn more from you, Renee? Yeah, so they can go to my website. It's called wewildwomen.com and you'll see the programs and kind of what I do. I also have a podcast called Into the Wild. And I'm on Instagram at Renee underscore Warren. So R-E-N-E-E underscore W-A-R-R-E-N. I can't believe you got that, like your name as your handle. I can't. Well, there's like, underscore. 
Okay, so I met my husband on Twitter. Really? <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if this account still exists, but oh my gosh, it is it's hilarious how this happened. So when Twitter came out, I was very skeptical about this thing. And I had the opportunity to actually get my handle, my full name, Renee Warren. Um, oh my God, it still exists. <laughs> okay. So Dan, like Twitter was the, the only place that we were connecting socially. And we finally started dating and I moved to San Francisco and he was tagging me in, in all of these pictures. They're like, oh, I'm so happy that my girlfriend moved to San Francisco. And anyway, it's a wrong account. <laughs> this is a picture of a a woman wearing a wig in a black fat suit. Oh my god! And he kept in that people are like, "Wow, Dan, is this your new girlfriend?" That like, like I don't know if you can see it, but oh my gosh. anyways, wow. The at Renee Warren on Twitter is not me. Um, and so, anyways, I eventually just said Renee underscore Warren, and I was able to like get that for everything. Everything. That's so so yeah. good. Oh, I love it. Well, we will link to all of those things in the show notes. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, Renee. It's been a pleasure. Final thing I want to know. I just want to ask you one rapid fire question. I want to know what the one thing you think small business owners need to stop doing today <laughs> oh my god this is hilarious they need to stop doing everything a va or assistant can do for them so it's hard to say what one thing is because there's so many different industries but i will say this in the years that i ran my pr agency the one thing we didn't have was it an assistant and we should have we had team but we should have had an assistant and I 100% that would have helped me grow that mm. business so much faster. But, I mean, the cliched thing to say is stop worrying, take more chances, but don't do busy work for the sake of being busy because that is not going to do anything for your business and hire an assistant. I love it. Well, thank you so much. You are amazing. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me, Laura. Well, there you have it. That is the play-by-play for this week. I hope that you found that super helpful. And I hope that these strategies have given you inspiration to get started and to add PR as part of your marketing strategy and part of your game plan for this year. All right. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll see you back here same time, same place. But in the meantime, you know what to do. Go get them.